Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Welcome, everybody. Happy Sunday. We're starting a new book this month. We're using Rosamond and Benjamin Zander's book, The Art of Possibility. And so the idea this month is we're going to learn a little bit more about possibility thinking as opposed to probability thinking. And I'll get into that in a minute so you'll know what I'm talking about. But I think the best place to start might be just a quote from the very beginning of this book. So here is uh, how they talk about launching this new journey. This is a how-to book of an unusual kind. Unlike the genre of how-to books that offer strategies to surmount the hurdles of a competitive world and to move out ahead in success, the objective of this book instead is to provide the reader the means to lift off from that world of struggle and sail into the universe of possibilities. Our premise is that many of the circumstances that seem to block us in our daily lives may only appear to do so based on the framework of our existing thinking. Drawing a different frame around that same set of circumstances and new pathways will come into view. Find the right framework, extraordinary potential unlocks itself in our lives. Each chapter of this book presents a different facet of this approach and describes a new practice for bringing possibilities to life. Another good place to start is the question, is it really that easy? You know, every Sunday, uh, Nancy says something, uh, you know, kind of just off the cuff, like change your thinking and change your mind. You know, this is a flavor of that, isn't it? This is saying that perhaps our entire worldview, if we were to shift it, shifts the world. Is that an easy task? Do we think that's possible? And, and I would even say more fundamentally, can we really change reality? Because that's what they're talking about here. They're saying that by how we picture our environment, it actually will change our reality. Well, let's go for a joke. I think a joke might help us through this possibility of reality. So recognizing Pablo Picasso on a European train compartment, a man inquired of this great artist why he did not paint people, quote, the way they really are. And for those of you who know anything about Picasso, right, he was one of the fathers of cubism and some of his, uh, especially some of his portraits, it's a little hard to actually see the person in there. It's more the effect of the person than an actual representation of the person. And so Picasso uh, asked the gentleman what he meant by that to paint people the way they really are. Well, the fellow uh, reached into his pocket and pulled out a loving and, and worn-out uh, photograph and said, well, here is a, a photo of my wife. Um, what I would like to see in your art is a, a more faithful representation of, of these people, like, like this. And so Picasso picked up the, the well-worn photograph and looked on the front and turned it upside down and looked at the back of it and said, well, your wife certainly is awfully small and kind of flat, and, uh, and it's too bad about that crease down her middle. <laughs> and uh, supposedly this is a real story, by the way. 
And of course, what the man was saying is, why don't you paint so that standing in a certain place, it will look like a physical res representation of that same person if they were right next to that picture. And of course, Picasso was saying, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in portraying the reality of this person as their effect. I'm interested in portraying the feeling of this person and the, the, the innerness of this person, not just how they look on the outside. Do you see how how we approach reality really defines reality? Even something as simple as our taste in, in, in art, for instance, right? Because Picasso was right. That wasn't a very good representation of the gentleman's wife, right? The photograph is flat. <laughs> it did have a crease in it. So, so what is this thing called reality? Well, I want to start off with the bad news first. There's a, a study that was done not too long ago, and I'll, I'll try to quote from it here a, a, a little bit. Uh, the study was done uh, recently by psychologist Yurik Nessler, and uh, he filmed some basketball players. It was part of a psychological study. And in the, in the little film, uh, basketball players, two teams, are, are passing the ball back and forth. And he did an interesting thing. He took a a film clip of a woman with an opened umbrella. And you know how in, uh, in motion pictures they can overlay things? So he did an overlay. So partway through this little basketball game, this woman very clearly with her opened umbrella walks through the middle of the scene, walks in and walks through and walks out again. And then he had people uh, view this movie. One group of people, he said, I want you to pay very, very careful attention. You need to be able to count the number of times the basketball passes from one player to another. And there'll be a test. And in one version of the test, he offered $50 if you got the right number. And so the basketball went back about, uh, about 20 times, and a few people got 20 and got the number right. And he also then asked, did you notice anything unusual in the little film clip? And about 80% of the people, even when asked bluntly, did you see the woman with the umbrella, they didn't even see her. They were so focused on counting. They had a purpose, right? They had a worldview about this is about basketball. I'm going to get $50 if I can count the number of times. And oh my gosh, if we, if we had a, someday we'll have a video screen. I'm sure I'll be hitting you up for that at some point. But, but if we had it, it is so very obvious that there's a woman with an umbrella walking through the screen and 80% plus of the people don't even recognize that she's there. So what this is showing is a, is a well-worn and established science of mind principle. What we put our attention on increases. If we are looking for a certain thing, not only do we see it, not only will we be able to count the number of times the basketball gets passed back and forth, but our attention is also exclusory. What we're not focusing on, it's as though it doesn't even exist anymore. Can you see the importance of this in a world of unlimited potential? 
if we are blind to some of the potential that exists out there, if we are blind to some of the options that sit right before us, if we're expecting life to be a certain way and we're looking for life to be a certain way and everything in our experience says life will be a certain way, we're looking to count the passes of the basketball and we will miss the woman in the umbrella. My suggestion is that sometimes the women with the umbrellas are there to save you. Sometimes the women with the umbrella are the greatest opportunity on the planet. And if you are not open to seeing it, you will claim that it doesn't even exist. So that shows, uh, that particular study shows that what we focus on really is highlighted. Really, we get to see more of it. We get better at it. But the study goes on, and here's a little bit more bad news, I think, and then I promise I'll get on to something more pleasant. But there's one last little piece of bad news. So they also did this study with the woman being African-American for some of the movie clips, and Caucasian for some of the movie clips. Guess what? The African-American woman was more invisible. I hope this disturbs you as much as it disturbs me because it shows that not only are things invisible if we're not focused on them, they also are even more invisible if they do not conform to our everyday experiences of life. So if that, uh, if that thing that might represent our saving or our opportunity, if it's something that we don't readily already interact with, if it's something a little outside of our comfort zone, in particular, we won't notice it. All right, can we shift gears now? Because I'm, I'm starting to scare myself. And some of, you, some of you are looking like a nap would be preferable to this bad news. So, so let's move on. The next section of this book, I think, is a little more optimistic. And, because, and it talks about the difference between possibility thinking and probability thinking. It talks about our world as we see it right now, which is mostly a world of probability. So when you go to the doctor and the doctor uh, does a diagnosis on you and says, well, you have a 30% chance of, you know, you, you name it, a 30% chance of healing, a 30% chance of dying, a 30% chance of, I don't know, needing a transplant or, or whatever it is, most of us are thinking probabilities. We're thinking, oh my gosh, I guess that means it's likely I'm going to die. Oh my gosh, it means I'm likely I need the transplant. Oh my gosh, the, the statistics would show, right, that I'm in trouble. I'm only 30% good. That is the science of probabilities. That's probability thinking. What if instead we recognize that the universe is infinite. And if the universe is infinite, it actually means there's an infinity of good outcomes. Now think about this. The universe is infinite. That means everything under the sun, well, and under the sun and on Pluto and you name wherever you can think of, 
It's infinite. And so the outcomes possible for you in any given situation are also infinite. So not only do you have a 30 per, or, or what, I guess it would be a 60% chance of, a, of not needing the operation, it's actually an infinity of possibilities that things could go right. And when we begin thinking in terms of the possibilities, do you see how we're using the bad news story from the first part of my little talk here to our advantage? When we begin focusing instead on the woman with the umbrella instead of the basketball players, oh, my God, when we begin focusing on the fact that I have an infinity of good jobs, an infinity of powerful relationships, an infinity of possibilities around every good thing I want, there's not just one good choice, there's a dozen good choices, there's a hundred good choices, there's as many good choices as I have time to begin writing them down and thinking them up as spirit might call to me. When that's our focus, instead of focusing on, oh my gosh, it's likely that this relationship will end in despair. Oh my gosh, it's likely, according to the statistics, right, that I'll be on high blood pressure for, for the end, till the end of my life, right? Right? When we, when we focus on the probabilities, it's usually a negative focus, it's also based on competition. Have you noticed how we measure ourselves? Have you noticed how in this world there's this, this uh, constant uh, idea of measuring ourselves as though, as though we always have to be on top, we have to be the fastest, we have to earn the most money, we have to have the biggest house, we have to look our best, we have to do all of these things in order to be on top, in order to get the money, in order to, even at the expense of other people, come out in some sort of survival contest. Well, I'm here to tell you, it's not the pl Pleistene era anymore, right? In our modern day, we're not going to die if we don't run faster than everybody else. I mean, this is left over when survival literally meant I had to run the fastest because the person trailing the pack would be brought down. The person who didn't push their way in to get the spoils wouldn't get fed enough and would become sick and die. So I understand the survival of the fittest. I know that that ancient part of our brain tends to have us rewired a little bit in terms of thinking of survival and competition and pushing other people aside to get what we need and want. I, I know that that's in there, and I also know that this is a few million years away from that. <laughs> and our survival isn't dependent on whether we have a newer BMW than the people that live next door. Our survival isn't dependent on whether our children get into the private school. Our survival, our ability to eat and reproduce and find appropriate mates, it's not based on whether we have a job that has more cachet than someone else. We can put that aside. Here, in our modern era, pretty much everyone with possibility thinking, can achieve 
their goals of happiness and affirmation of life and love, of a peaceful existence not filled with competition. You know, when I was a a younger man, I worked for the telephone company, and and it was just long enough ago that that kind of old boy network existed. You know what that means? And And I suppose in some places in the world, it still exists. In fact, I think in the politics in this country, but we won't we won't go into that. I, I, you know, we can we'll save that for discussion afterwards. But I think that old boy network still exists to some degree, and uh, and so there was a career path for me. And so when I first started with the telephone company, you know, I was doing data entry. And then because I was one of the guys, right, they put me in some kind of a path. And then they wanted me to move to Omaha, Nebraska to try my wings at running a... And I just looked finally, because I think I didn't really fit in all that well, maybe to begin with. I looked at them and I said, well, that is the normal path That is the probability thinking. The probability is if I play this game, I will get this success in this corporation, right? And so, oh, the temptation was there. I can leave my friends and family behind and find success. I can walk over the bodies of other people on the corporate ladder and and achieve what I want, right? And, And when I was 20, there was that instant when it even sounded good, I think. But it wasn't good. It wasn't me. It wasn't possibility thinking. You know, and what they said at the time was, and if you just stay here in Portland... We're, you know, we're writing you off. You're not on the fast track anymore. This isn't the plan. This isn't how this old boy network works. So you either play the game and you get ahead, right? Well, I refused to play the game. But I did not refuse to be successful. I learned how to define my own success. I learned how to begin thinking of possibilities. I learned how to be invaluable in the job that I was in right then. I learned how to help other people and the rewards for being cooperative and easy to work with and a fun employee. I learned how my personal success, when I when I amped that up with the success of my company was an unbeatable combination that was amazingly attractive to other people and I was very successful not because of probability thinking not because I played the game but because I chose to follow my own path I chose to see possibilities where people have said nah Probably not. I have a little homework for you this week. You knew it was coming. I think that we make most of our conscious decisions based on probability thinking. And by that I mean we mostly think of, well, how did this work out last time it came about? Because there's that little voice in our head says, well, if this affair didn't work out well last time, if this job didn't work out that well last time, if this relationship had its difficulties last time, it's probable that this next one will too. My theory, and I want you to check in with yourselves right now, is that most of us to some degree are in probability thinking. And I would ask you, 
in particular this week as a spiritual exercise that when you are getting ready to make a decision, that you ask yourself, am I saying this is likely to happen? Or am I thinking about the infinity of possibilities that could happen? I would like you to make your next, especially if any of you have a big decision. Oh my gosh, if any of you are thinking of changing careers or, or changing relationships in a big way, if any of you are getting ready for a vacation or some big change in your life, I do not want you to get what you expect. I want you to get what you could dream of. Are we okay with the homework this week? Okay. Some of you are smiling. Some of you look a little shocked. (laughs) Either way, what I know is in an infinite universe, there is an infinity of good and you should have it. You know, that's one of the primary teachings of Emma Curtis Hopkins, one of the the main uh, creators of this science of mind. Ernest Holmes was one of her last pupils. She said, there is good in the universe and I shall have it. That is my desire for you. I'm going to close today with a a quote from the end of the second chapter of this book. We've kind of covered the first two chapters of it for those of you who are following following along. And this is what uh, Rosamond uh, says. She says, let us suppose now that a universe of possibilities stretches beyond the world of measurement to include every world, infinite, generative, and abundant unimpeded on a daily basis by any concern for survival, we're free from the generalized assumption of scarcity. We stand in the great space of possibility and in a position of openness. We are unfettered with our imagination for what can and will be. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence in this universe, and as I have said before, it is infinite. It is the the stars at night beyond counting. It is the vastness of the ocean. It is the creative consciousness of all living creatures in the universe. It is, it is all. And what I know about this universal consciousness, this universal good, the infinity of it is that it is present for me and it is present for each and every person within the hearing of my voice. That each of you has the ability to summon new ideas, new ways of being, to look beyond the blind spots we've created and put our focus on something that is new and good and beautiful and wonderful and our heart's desire and the things that matter most that we easily put aside, maybe patterns of the past, maybe maybe things we were told were true but are not necessarily true in our worldview. We allow them to fade away and instead our creative potential comes to full front. It's the truth of who we are. It is our innate connection to that higher power. It is possibility thinking. And I'm simply grateful for this potential. I'm grateful in knowing that each person here has that creative connection to God that allows them to seize their good. There is good for you, and you shall have it. I'm grateful for this true knowledge. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you're here today. 
We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.